world's on fire, our culture is disintegrating. Hey, pass the salt. It's time. It's time. Hey, you, pass the salt. You know what, why it's disintegrating? Because we're jellyfish. Hey, pass the salt, will you? Pass the salt. Pass the salt, amigo. It's time. It's time. I think they could give us a new name. I believe we are Evan Jellyfish. Hey, will you pass the salt? Pass the salt. We need salt over here. It's time for Pass the Salt. Pass but we like to share the gospel without any backbone to it, see? The views, opinions, and seemingly outrageous comments expressed in this program are based on the Holy Spirit leading of a man called Coach. i got to ask you this out there, Christian America. It's time for Pass the Salt with a Coach, Dave Dobbenmeyer. The Bible tells us that we're not to be ignorant of Satan's devices. <clears throat> In fact, I was looking at scripture, I was re- reading through that today, and we really are, you know. We really, really are ignorant of his devices. I'm going to try to lay a little, little of that out here for us today. Because, uh, the, you know, the, um, the American courts, American society has, has tried to do about everything they can do to separate the sacred from the secular. You know that. In fact, the churches have joined right in, and churches won't talk about the secular because they think their pulpits are too sacred to do it. And, of course, when we look in the halls of legislation, the powers in the United States of America, uh, Christ isn't isn't welcomed. So the separation between the church and the state is is a big fraud. And, unfortunately, it's in the situation it's in because we've permitted to to be there. So the battle that we're facing, here's a point I want to make. By the way, Reuben Betty came by yesterday. We had a nice evening on the boat, and Betty bought us dinner and appreciate it, Betty. And we had a good time. I hope you guys got home safely. Obviously you did. And we took them out on our, our multi-million dollar yacht that you guys all paid for through your donations. So we want to thank you for that. And the waitress and waitresses and the, the captain on our boat was just, every, they were all pleased to see. Tongue in cheek, right folks? Tongue in cheek. See, uh, one of the worst things that you can ever do <clears throat> as a coach, I've I'm sorry, my, my, that's, my, that's my mind frame. That's my mindset. For, for 30, 30 some years, I, I, I coached. And a, a football game, a baseball game, bat, it doesn't matter what, what game you're in, is a continue evolution of strategy, a continue evolution. Now you go into a game and you have a game plan, but you better be ready to adjust because the chances are pretty good that the other team also has come into the game with a game plan. If they don't have a game plan, then you don't have to worry. They're probably going to win, either they, unless they're really a lot better with you. So <clears throat> this thing we called life is nothing more than continue evolution of a game plan. That Satan, from the very beginning, <clears throat> excuse me, <clears throat> a little froggy today. Uh, from the very beginning, Satan in the garden questioned the word of God. Really, he didn't question the word of God. Golly. He questioned what you knew about the word of God. He went to Eve and he said, said, no, we're not allowed to eat that tree because if we eat from that tree in that garden, we're going to die. And Satan basically said, oh, who told you that? (laughs) Where'd you hear that? Eve, are you a conspiracy theorist? Is that what's going on here? You ain't going to die. In fact, Eve, as soon as you eat from that thing, your eyes are going to be open. You're going to be able to tell the difference between good and evil. You're going to be like God. By the way, some truth mixed in there, right? Because when they did eat it, their eyes were opened. They did see the difference between good and evil. <clears throat> but they sure weren't like God, were they? And the Bible tells us that Satan is more subtle than any beast of the earth. Hey, Spencer, subtle, subtle. Mr. Webster, what's Mr. Webster say? Subtle. I always wonder, how'd they get, how'd they get that word subtle? S-U-B-T-L-E, subtle, subtle. It's an adjective. Sly in design. Artful. Cunning. Insinuating. Applied to persons. A subtle foe. Cunningly devised. Cunningly devised. And we've been told we're not to be ignorant of his devices. Why? Because the devil was more, what? Hmm. Subtle than any beast of the earth. And in this battle that we're having, see, here's really where we're missing it. And where I I think our churches are missing it. 
our churches are missing it in that we've made the gospel of the we've made the gospel today's modern gospel in most churches there's exceptions we made the gospel about salvation and personal gratification we we read that yesterday when I when I went down through the list of uh the um budget budget from a couple of different churches we saw that the church brought in two 2.3 million dollars and it never really left the church. It never really left the church because the church figured, well, our job is to uh feed the people. We got we got to feed the people here. And as long as we keep the people healthy, wealthy and fed, uh, everything's going to be okay. So we have this gospel of salvation, this gospel of whatever, blessing, this gospel of prosperity. And that's part of the gospel. That's not the whole gospel. We've been warned about about those who come teaching a different gospel, a different gospel. Hey, Spence, what's gospel? What's gospel? Because, folks, we use words, we don't even think about them. Hmm, it's called the gospel of God in Romans 1. It's called the gospel of Christ in Romans 1, 16. It's called the gospel of salvation in Ephesians. Gospels, God's word, divinity, theology, any general doctrine to instruct in the gospel or to fill with sentiments of religion. Well, Spencer, I'm a wordsmith. Sorry. What's a sentiment of religion? A sentiment. What's a sentiment, Spencer? A sentiment is what? A thought promoted by passion or fear. In the English language, unbelievable. Do you understand that trail that we just went down? The what? The gospel has been about sentiment. What? A thought promoted by passion or feeling. In popular sense, thought, opinion, notion, judgment, the decillion of the mind formed by deliberation or reasoning. The sense, the thought or opinion contained in words, but considered as a distinct from them. Sensibility, feeling. So we have a church now that functions mainly on feelings. Would anybody want to argue with that with me? That's exactly it. No logic. Vinny, raise your hand like everybody else. Pretty simple what we pretty simple what we do here. Um so because they've crept in and changed the truth of God into a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator. Do you understand what it means to worship and serve the creature? It means when you go to church, church is all about you. Oh, you worship God. We were I'm I'm guilty of this, okay? I worship God because he's good to me. That's why I worship him. I don't worship God out of duty or out of love or out of fear. We say we do, but we really don't. We worship God because he does good stuff for us. That's a flesh that's crept into us. And see, scriptures tell us that we are to die to our flesh. In other words, die daily, die over and over and over and over. I'm crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, but not I. Christ lives within me. The life I now live, I live by the grace of God. God gave himself for me. And why is Jesus Christ keeping you alive? Wow. That would be a that would be a deep, deep Bible study that would be worth having sometimes. And I'm I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm just going stream of consciousness right now because there are a lot of people turning in every day that haven't heard any of this. So bear with me, right? So we know this, it tells us in first John chapter three. Could you go there real quick, Spencer? First John. Chapter three, and if you ask, if you ask people, uh, first of all, most people never ever share the gospel outside the outside the church. Never do outside their little tight knit square. They never they never get out there. <clears throat> For uh, brothers, First John three. Behold, uh, my wife mosey down. Oh, she's getting something. Behold, what manner of love the Father has bestowed upon us that we should be called the sons of God. You're a son of God. I'm a son of God. Wow. Therefore, the world doesn't know us. What? Yeah, the world doesn't understand Christians. Why? Because they didn't know him. And beloved, now we are we the sons of God, and it does not yet appear what we shall be, but we know that when he shall appear, what we shall be will be like him. And every man that hath his hope in him purify himself even as pure. And whosoever committeth sin transgresses also the law, for sin is the transgression of the law. 
And you know that he was manifested to take away our sins, and in him there is no sin. And whosoever abideth in him doesn't sin, and whoever sinneth not has seen him. And whoever sinneth hasn't seen him, neither know him. Little children, let no man deceive you. He that does righteous things is righteous, even as he is righteous. And he that committeth sins are the devil, for the devil sinneth from the beginning. And for this purpose was the Son of God manifest, that he might destroy the works of the devil. Okay, we stop right there a minute. What are the works of the devil? The purpose Jesus Christ went and died on that cross was not to get you saved, although that's the byproduct of it. And until we come to the understanding that the, the whole gospel story from the book of Genesis to the book of Revelation is a war. It's a war. You understand that? It's a war. And God, being the good guy, by the way, the devil is not even any way remotely equal to God in his power. No, no, no way even equal at all. And Jesus Christ, when he died on the cross, said, all power has been given unto me both in heaven and earth. And then he said, I'm giving it to you. You go. Therefore, teach them to observe all I've commanded you. Lo, I'm with you always, even at the end of the age. So Jesus Christ came and died on the cross, and he set off a nuclear bomb against the forces of darkness. And we've taken that nuclear bomb. See, it's about a kingdom being stolen. Christ established a kingdom. I'm sorry. Almighty God in the garden established a kingdom. The devil came and purloined it. And Jesus came to take it back. When Jesus came, he destroyed the power of the enemy. The devil still has power, but it's destroyed power. There's no power over us anymore. It has no power. There is The devil has no power. All the devil can do is what? Lies, deception, and fear. Oh, my. Lies, deception. The Flip, Flip Wilson, when he said to us, the devil made me do it, was lying. The devil cannot make you do it. He cannot make you do it. Paul said the things I do, I don't want to do. The things I want to do, I don't do. Oh, wretched man that I am. Why? Because he didn't have the power. He didn't have the power, the willpower, the God power to say no. We don't even teach it in church anymore. We don't even teach it. Because we've lost the sight of what really this whole thing called Christianity is all about, it's the establishment of a kingdom. It's about a reestablishment of a kingdom that was overthrown. It's not, it's not just about you being here and living a happy life and making sure all your financial needs are met. and that, uh, Not about any of that. That if God has given you wealth, he's given you wealth. Are you looking at me? To, to invest it in the kingdom. What, what do you mean to invest it in the kingdom? Well, not, not to go get a budget of $2 million and only have 100000 of it go outside. No, you're not building you a church. Not building a ministry, because churches and ministries do what? They rub people on the back and tell them how brave they are and how happy, healthy, wealthy, and wise they can be if they just follow these seven steps. Anybody, anybody picking up what I'm saying out there? Are, are you with me? So so what, what we're dealing with, the reason that we are so inept in this battle is we don't understand it's a battle. We do not understand it. Now, I've said all of that for 13 minutes to say this. We're ignorant of his devices. I did a lot. I coached a lot of football games, and I coached against a lot of coaches. And when you coach against great coaches, you recognize the great coaches as you're going against them. When the game's over, you look at the game film. You say, "Oh my God, that that, that was smart, man! Why didn't I think of that?" Now, to get your butt beat, you can get upset if you want to, or you can look at the film and say, man, that is really, I'm going to start using that. I'm going to start using that. But see, we don't understand because God is in control of everything, everywhere, all-encompassing. God, all power has been given unto him. We do not realize that wherever we are as a salt of the earth and light of the world, we are to invade and embed ourselves into every area of the world. We're supposed to do that. We're supposed to go into all the world, government, politics, media, 
entertainment, on and on and on, on every, everywhere, not to see what we can get out of it, to see what science, because why? It's a battle of a kingdom of light and the kingdom of darkness, a battle of truth against the kingdom of lies. That's the battle. And we don't get it. For the most part, we don't get it. That's why my, that's why my frustrations always remain so high because dudes, it's good to celebrate after a touchdown, but we got a game to play here. And so we look at what's going on with, with uh, uh, the movie Free, uh, Sound of Freedom and all, all that stuff. And yet now the devil's going to use this and he's going to do this. And I said yesterday, maybe it was in the after show, we have no, we have no offensive game plan. We have none. Our team, yeah. our team has no offensive game plan. Say, Coach, what play are we going to run? I can tell you when I was coaching football, I'm when they when they punted the ball to us and the other team gave up the football, I knew my next three plays in my head. I knew them. I'm gonna do this, I'm gonna do this, I'm gonna do this. And if that works, then I'm gonna do this and this and this. That's 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 how your mind works, right? I can't just say, uh, I'm gonna run this play and then see whether or not it worked. Because if it didn't work, now what do I do? No, no. I laid these three plays out, all of them great potential plays. And if this one works, uh, good. I'll file that away and we'll run it again. But I'm not going to continue to run that play. I'm going to go over and run this. Hey, look, look, are you looking at me? That's what the devil does. That's what the devil does. And Jesus himself said, the children of this world are wiser than the children of God. You get, you get, do, you see, do you see the picture? The devil's kids are working hard to win a kingdom. They don't even know it. And we have won the kingdom, and we won't engage in it. We won't push the straw man over. All power. Hey, Betty, how much power does the devil have? None. None! And yet they're running, ruling, reigning everywhere we look, right? So I was going to get in here and talk about... Uh, strategy and plans and all that kind of stuff but folks uh, that's what that's what we have to do so so we're always reacting to what the devil does we're always reacting we don't have any plan at all we say coach child trafficking is really a big problem okay what are we going to do what's the plan of the church oh coach drug drugs it's really Man, that devil is just destroying our kids with drugs. Okay, what are we going to do? Right? So the man with a plan is always at advantage to the man without a plan. And if I were to open it up right now and ask you, other than getting people saved, does anybody know any plan the church has? Oh, I've got another plan. The church wants to create strong families. Well, that's good. But folks, that ain't a strategy. <laughs> That's preparation for a strategy. They want to have good families. For what purpose do they want to have good families? Let me pull this up here real quick. Uh, Spence, pull up uh, Divorce is Deadly. Pull up Divorce is Deadly. I'm not trying to make anybody mad, although I don't care. I'm not trying to, I'm not trying to make anybody feel bad, okay? I read this from Matt Tuella yesterday. Blew me, kind of blew my mind. The The injury... Are you guys looking at me? A lot of you are still bleeding. And a lot of you spend a lot of time wanting to show your your scars. A lot of you spend a lot of time living in the past, repeating past harms to you. And truth is, many of them self-inflicted. Some of them not self-inflicted. But if you think that sin doesn't have consequences, God... The devil's plan is to wound you and take you out of the battle. Don't you get it? Wound you and make you ineffective. And that every time we get together, you get together, whatever, all Christians in general, we like to play the old game films and watch. See, see what the devil did to me here? See what he did to me here? And I read this from Matt Tuella yesterday, and I, I said, boom, boom. Do you remember when you were anybody raised out there Catholic? Do you remember Catholics weren't allowed to get divorced? You remember, guys, remember that? You remember? And Spencer, I want to see how really how how good you really are. Uh, do a Google search real quick, Spencer, 
and see if uh, when divorce was illegal. How long ago was divorce illegal? In, in America, when was it legalized? When was it? Um, who, uh, look at that. January, divorce laws in the United States. Uh, uh, 19, go back to the first one. California became the first U.S. state to pass a no-fault divorce law, 1969. Can can anybody, can anybody, well, I'm going to read this here. I'm not trying to beat up on those of you who are divorced, okay? And I also, boy, I could really dig into this one. Hmm. Is it okay to be divorced and remarried? Hmm. Is that the only forgivable sin? Matt Roller writes, divorce is an ugly thing. Are you looking at me? Divorce is not about you. It's about the children. Divorce is an ugly thing. It mires the mind of a child. It leaves him ill-prepared and at a distinct disadvantage with his peers for the life that lies ahead of him or her. It removes all innocence. What order his life once had is left strewn on the floor. The most foundational part of his life, which gives cohesiveness to his existence, is gone. Life no longer has the promise it once did. I'll stop right there because a lot of you are products of a divorced home. Deep, deep wounding as a result of it. Some things you don't even know, maybe you don't even realize. He says, I remember my brothers and sisters walking around looking shell-shocked for days. Coach sucks dinner. big black dicks. No, he doesn't, al No, he doesn't. That's not true. I think you do that. I think you do that. He certainly does. Yeah, because he promotes it. Yeah. I remember my brothers and sister walking around looking shell-shocked for days after that news. Like refugees of some war-torn city. But the reverberations of a divorce on a child go much longer. Days. Months. Years, decades. You never truly see all the negative consequences until you have to your own children, until you grow old as a man. American society has made it their sole point when it comes to divorce to try to remove any shame associated with it. Just watch the 18 million Hollywood films trying to convince us of this. This is the mission. This is the virtue. We should have no shame associated with divorce. A divorced child should never feel bad and fear or abnormal about his parents being divorced. They strain at a gnat while they swallow camels. I'm going to stop for a minute. Does anybody ever remember at your house when you came home and uh, you're talking about somebody in your th- second grade class, third grade class, or whatever, and your mom would say to you, well, honey, his parents are divorced. Anybody remember that besides me? Anybody ever go through that? It was like, well, of course he's, of course he's messed up, son. His mommy and daddy are divorced. You can do all the rationalization you want to try and convince yourself that your divorce, which 80% of the time has something to do with the happiness of the parent. You don't have to say amen. You can say, oh my. It's better for young children. The truth is divorce is an ugly thing. It has far-reaching, long-lasting implications and consequences. This is from Matt Tawala, not me. Every scientific study ever done on children from divorced homes proves that assertion overwhelmingly. And every child from a divorced home doesn't need a scientific study to convince him or her of the awfulness of divorce. It sickens my heart when I overhear people talking to other people having trouble in their marriage and they encourage the person with the most self-absorbed arguments to simply end the marriage. Scroll down, Spence. Divorce is like a bad plague. It spreads from home to home. Hmm. For the Lord, the God of Israel, saith that he hateth putting away for one to covereth violence with his garment, saith the Lord of hosts. Therefore, take heed to your spirit that you deal not treacherously. Okay, so hang on. I'm not not trying to condemn or anybody who has a divorce or I'm not. That's not the point. And that's not the point. 
I think all we have to do is look around us since 1969 and look at what has happened to marriage since divorce was legalized. And then we see Christians, including me, stand up and talk about, we're going to defend marriage. We're going to defend marriage. It's between a man and a woman. It's God's idea. And then how what percentage of them end in divorce? And we become a mockery. become a mockery. We talk about how sacred. It's a union of a man and a woman. And then get divorced for no reason. So look, look, look. I'm not trying to uh, make anybody feel bad. I believe my my theological training, I, I don't have any theological training, yes. Uh, I don't, you shouldn't get divorced. But I think if you uh, get divorced and remarried with the blessing of Almighty God, I don't think you're committing adultery. My, that's my that's my belief. It's my belief. But the dire, deep consequences of divorce in the lives of your children, by the way, in your life, if you came from a divide, a broken home, a fatherless home. I was reading something yesterday. Child traffickers look for divorced families. The protector is gone. The defender is gone. One more thing I want to throw up there. No, I don't want to. So anyway, divorce is deadly. We've done to ourselves. I'll open it up. Go ahead, Myra. Coach, thank you for leading us. Uh, thank you, Holy Spirit, for leading us in all truth. We read, it is written in First Peter. 5, 8 through 9, be sober and be big, uh, vigilant because your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion walking about seeking whom he may devour, who resisted stand fast in the faith, knowing that the same afflictions are accomplished in your brethren that are in the world. Hallelujah. So here's the mistake that I made. I'm going to confess and Jeff get in there. Then here's the mistake I made. And I came out pretty lucky, really. I never trained my daughters on what to look for in a husband. I never trained my son in what to look for in a wife. Never did. Never did. I guess I thought it would just pass down through osmosis. I guess the mothers would just see what a great, my daughters would just see what a great mother their mother was, and they would copy it. And I guess my daughters thought that they knew I was a good daddy, so the man they fell in love with would be a good daddy as well. And then we don't train them to look for these things that are, as you all know, things that are marriage ending, that there were signs of at the very beginning, and we ignored it because why? We were in love and we felt good. So a lot of us are dealing with that. In our, in our families, children who have married non-believers. Can you think of a thing more important for your children than to marry a believer? I can't think of anything. I can't think of anything more important than for my children to marry a believer. Do we do Amen. that? Do we, do, we, do we train our children to do that? No. And then look at the dire consequences of it. Jeff, come on in then, Tracy. Coach, you just said something. And that was a boom moment, what you just said. Here's what you said. The defenders are gone. Yeah. Not only in marriage, in the family, but in the country. Yep. We're talking about the churches. The defenders are gone. Okay. Last night in the garage, we didn't have a pastor. So I took control. And I did what you were just talking about a little bit ago. I kind of ran through the game, the game films without a screen and just did it verbally. This example, this example. I said, what are we doing? And I used some examples. I said, this is what we talked about on Coach Show in the past week. And I used the child trafficking with Harry and some scenarios going on around here in our little community with our churches and with each other in the garage. And I've used Psalms 2 and then uh, Joshua 1, 1, verse 9. So I tied them two together. I said, what are we doing? Mm -hmm. I said, what is the answer? Why are we always on? the defense, and not on the offense. And everybody just looking at me like, oh, my. But I, just, I hammered yeah, Jeff, it. We're Jeff, we're just waiting for the devil to throw a left hook, aren't we? Yeah. So what I are just, we going to do now? <laughs> I just hammered it. Back? 
And nobody really had an answer. They just looked at me like, oh, my, where's this coming from? I said, we've heard Pastor Bill preach for 20 years. We've been hearing that. What are we going to do? And Jeff, just- one of the greatest lines in all of moviedom was in the movie The the Patriot. I think that was the movie. Mel Gibson, after they'd been messing with his family, he put on his gear, got his sword, put it over his shoulder. He's going out the door, and they said, where are you going? Does anybody yep. know what he said? Yep. Going to pick a fight. Amen. Um, so yesterday morning, and it set it off all day. Then just our past shows, we've been talking about this stuff. First thing in the morning, yesterday morning, I call, I text my son because I'm done with this nonsense. You know it. I'm not going to go into it. But I said, how about breakfast Saturday morning with three question marks? He said, I think I can do that. I'm like, hallelujah. We got to do something. Hey, folks, listen to me. Listen. You look in your family. Some of you have blessed families. And we all know what it's like raising kids, right? But you look in your family, how disunified your family is. That's a picture of the family of God. You understand that? You understand that, don't you? That God's family is in disorder, fighting each other, rebellious. God's family, God's children. We call them churches. Tracy. You um, couldn't be more spot on, Coach, and this really, really hits a nerve today because I was a product of divorce. And I think because of going through and seeing at such a young age at what my mom went through with my father and my father leaving me and my brothers. And I think that was part of my life with like, I just, I just couldn't trust men. I just, I mean, you can't trust your daddy. How could you ever trust a man? That's right. Exactly. And I I think that's where a lot of my issues arose and I'm a, I'm a divorced person, but since finding the Lord, I'm giving everything a hundred percent to my marriage because I am not going to defy my Lord again. Amen. So, uh, uh, you're, you're spot on today, coach. Folks, listen, uh, Again, grace and mercy to all of you have been through it, right? All of you have been through it. Uh, that's what I love about being a grandpa. The truth I can teach, the manhood I can model for my own grandchildren is immeasurable, folks. It's immeasurable. I don't know if I can repair the breach. I really don't know. But I try every day to pay forward into the next generation. That's really all we can do. Really, it is. It's sad, isn't it? I mean, look, I, this, this could be sob story after sob story after sob story after sob story. And we're looking around and we're worrying about all the things the devil's doing. Look, we'll look at the very basic thing. The family, he's, destro- he's destroying the family. The church doesn't even talk about it. Amen. Amen. Eileen, come on in. Good morning, everyone. First of all, I was a divorce attorney for over 20 years. And I started practicing when I was 23 years old. Uh, That's when they passed the no-fault law here in Michigan. Mm. I didn't know anything. Just thought I was going to help and, you know, make a difference. And, And I found this book. And it says there's no such thing as a friendly divorce. And the bottom line is the children internalize. It's a victim. They're the victims. They're the victims. Right. And they have, it, they stop talking, they get angry. And, but 10 years later, so I didn't get married until I was 47. Uh, I wanted to be a nun because I love Jesus, but they didn't want me either. So <laughs> uh, my spiritual director told me, go find it. God wants you to have a partner. But 10 years, my point is 10 years later, when I was 32, I almost had a nervous breakdown. And I couldn't figure out what the problem was. I was crying all the time. I was depressed. And I, as being a divorce attorney, I internalized all that negativity, all that negative frequency. And it started affecting my body, mind, and spirit. And I mm. had to get out. By the grace of God, Amen. he gave me a window, a door to get out of that business so i just my heart goes out to 
divorced families, and even after their divorce, when one when the my client would say, "Well, I want to date," I go, "No, your focus is on these children right now. You've got to Amen. help them heal." Amen. So, Amen. Thank you. Amen. You know, Eileen, uh, Mark Trump just put in, in Amen, commented that uh, divorce is marriage abortion. Yes. That's what it is, isn't it, friends? Yeah. You uh, look. I'm not trying to make anybody feel bad. I'm just trying to show you how serious this is, right? There are there are three people involved in a marriage. That's why we call it holy matrimony. It's you, your spouse, and the Lord. What God has joined together, let no man put asunder. How casually we take those words. It is a it is a nuclear bomb in the life of a family. Divorces. Wounds that are, man, created that we carry with us the rest of our lives. Not trying to make anybody feel bad, trying to make people feel good. Uh, Angie jumped in there real quick. Angie, then Clay, then Sheila. Go. Good morning. Hey, so spot on today. And, you know, when you were talking about that that marriage is that three-stranded cord. And you're right. Mm-hmm. When you get up and you say your marriage vows, that is an, an oath to him and, and his oath to you. And it is it is a, a strand that shouldn't be broken. Now, I was a product of a divorce. Won't go into all the details, but one of the things I did learn, because I had wonderful maternal grandparents who, modif- who, who modeled uh, a wonderful godly marriage, um, which is, I think, really the only reason why I turned out as sane as I am. Uh, but when I, when I teach my kids, and you talk about, Coach, teaching our children what, we should, what they should be looking for in a spouse, well, I teach four things, and I, I even take this into our, my homeschool classrooms when I'm talking about with homeschool high schoolers. You need to be, when you're looking for a spouse, you need to be looking at their faith, at their views on how families should be done, at how you should do finances, and I always recommend Dave Ramsey, and you need to be politically on the same playing field because if you are in any of those four, then you will have strife within your marriage, and there will, be, there will be that leverage that gets in there that will wedge you apart at some point unless you recognize your oath and your covenant to each other and to God, and you stick within those four parameters. And, um, you know, I, I just I thank God every day that I am married to a really good and wonderful man. He is not perfect, and neither am I, but by gosh, we have raised three amazing kids, and we are Amen. Model what what it means. We will be 32 years in November, but it's you know continuing to model and and try to help other kids along the way uh, because divorce is an ugly, horrible thing. Broken marriages create broken people, and it's just amen. it's it's the devil's amen. it's devil in the details. Amen, amen, amen on that one. Hey Spencer, get that one I just sent you. Get it ready. Clay, come on in, then Sheila. Well, I definitely grew up in a, 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 a bad marriage between my parents. It was uh, terrible. And uh, they ended up divorced. But I can tell you that if they would have stayed together and not fixed the marriage, it would have still been terrible, terrible, terrible. Mm. And I think it's important to say that uh, that's, you know, it's not just about not getting divorced. It's like Angela was saying, that th- that three three-strung cord, it's a covenant between you and God and your wife. And if you don't keep that covenant and work on it all the time and do your part, if only one of you tries, it's not going to work. And the kids are going to be miserable and they're going to have problems because you didn't do what you were supposed to do. Amen. I'm 30 years into this marriage and, and uh, you know, I don't plan on getting a divorce, but I work on it all the time and I'm still reading self-help books on try to how to improve it. And mainly the Bible. I'm going to show you something here, man. Hang with me. Sheila, come on in. Broken line of authority. We missed the The women have taken over. They put the women in the top place. The women decide. The man has to follow. By the way, Sheila, hang on, Sheila. That was a game plan. See, folks, you see that? That was one of the devil's game plans. Go ahead, Sheila. When you break the line of authority, because the line of authority is a man unto the father. So the husband, the father unto our father. And when you break that, you make widows out of the wife. 
which caused her to lose her value and who she is. And the children gain an orphan's heart and we're to take care of the needs of the widows and orphans. And because the state has entered in and taken over the senior centers and the orphanages, I'm saying this on purpose, they've broken the line of authority and Nobody can do anything with orphans or help the widows in those institutions wow. because the state controls them. Sheila, so, I never, I never looked at the fact that the divorce causes a child to be an orphan. I never, I never, I never looked. Breaking the line of authority under the father, they don't even understand the authority under the father. Wow. So yeah. when you break that link, that's exactly the enemy's plan. Majority of men going to the hospital thinking they had COVID that are now dead. It was men. The men yeah. in war, men. They're breaking the families constantly. The government in aid to dependent children makes sure there's no adult male shoes in the house. Wow. That's what they inspect for. <laughs> Everything's a break of the line of authority yeah. unto our father unto our heavenly father. Amen. And when you break that, you break the relationship. You pass the so curse. The woman the father, is in the right? wilderness. The children are in the wilderness and there is no line of authority to the father. Mm-hmm. And we don't think that it's that. And when I talk to women who are divorced, they feel that now they're in charge and they're mm-hmm. in charge of their children. And they decide when the husband gets to see the children. And so the women in the divorce can become a stumbling block to those children ever having a relationship with their heavenly father. Amen. Amen. Great wisdom, Sheila. Thank you. Thank you. And when Father gave me this, I said, I can't help the orphans. He said, they're everywhere, Sheila. And I said, they they just give me a community tour. I can't even talk to the children. And they control the children and they won't let them be adopted because they get subsidies per child. I said, everything is wrong. He said, my people have not seen to the needs of the widows and the orphans. And now they are all, they are all single mothers. And it's all children without a father's guidance in the home. Amen. Hang in there, folks. I'm going to show you something, I promise. Roger, Red Roger. Well, you know, being a lawyer for 34, 35 years now, I... Stone him! Stone him! I dabbled in domestic stuff and... uh, well, I could say a lot in on air in a lot of different areas this morning, but I think the main thing I would say is one of the greatest lies that is perpetuated out there is that oh, the kids are resilient; um, mm. <laughs> they're going to be able to rebound, and yeah, yeah. it'll be okay. And and uh, they're good, you know. And that's what's pushed out there by the mainstream psychology people is in that church. And church, Roger. Well, yeah, and church, but it's it, the idea of, well, that is a lie. Mm-hmm. Um, it is hard on all children. It's just when does it manifest itself? And secondly, how bad is it going to be? But this idea that children are going to be okay, they're tough, they're, they'll rebound, mm. is a lie from my observation in my testimony this morning it is a lie it is hard hard on children look around look around <laughs> right children are throwaways i don't know hang on there uh, i think back to when uh, you don't think about these things when i was a high well, i was a high school graduate in 1971 uh, my mom and dad started sleeping in different bedrooms i mean they didn't start sleeping just all of a sudden i realized mom was sleeping in one room and Dad was sleeping in another. And now that I've been married for 43 years, I'm thinking, uh, wow. At what point did mom and dad stop being intimate? Hmm. It's a real sign, isn't it? So I want, uh, I want to play something for you here real quickly. And I want you to think about this. Uh, children, as Roger was saying, uh, uh, children, the father is the image of God in the home. In fact, the Bible says that grandchildren are a crown of the old man. So the image that a child has in his house of his daddy, by the way, a woman will probably be marrying her dad one way or another. You know how that goes, right? Is, is a strong, strong 
indication of how they're going to deal with their heavenly father. And if a young guy grows up or a young woman grows up with a father who's a drunk and a cussard and a doesn't care, sports all the time, drinking, uh, that's what she's going to think a man's supposed to be. It's what she'll look for. The same thing for a son, exact same thing. So I'm going to, I want to play the song for you real quick. It's, I played it before Paul Overstreet, seeing my father in me, seeing my father in me. Who's, who's interrupting? Okay, okay fine. I was, good, that's okay then. We're going to stop doing this, all right? So as you watch this song, I want you to think about the fact that you do become your dad. Hey, men, you do become your dad. You do become your dad. But your relationship with your dad will impact your relationship with your Heavenly Father. I want you to ask yourself this. Are people seeing your father in you? I'm not talking about your earthly father. I'm talking about your Heavenly Father. Go ahead and play that, Spencer. So the question is, the old phrase, you're just like your dad. Is that a good thing or a bad thing? 
And then those of us in our relationships with our own earthly children, when our earthly children think of the word father, do they want a heavenly father? When the one they've had, the other father that they've had, (laughs) ain't been nothing but a pain in the arse. And so I think we need to all take an evaluation of where we are, and especially grandfathers, because a lot of us in here are grandfathers, and understand the important role that you play. Because look, folks, Grandpa, you are eternal in the mind of a child. You are eternal. You are a godlike figure. You are over their daddy. Somehow they understand you're over their daddy. They get that. And so when you as a dad are speaking to your children about your heavenly father, that's the image they have in their mind. And so when your children, my children, when you were as a child, when you thought of the image of a heavenly father, is that a good thing or a bad thing? And I'd be confessed to you, I was a much better father to my daughters than I was to my son. Because my dad wasn't a very good dad. Well, he was a good, he was a, I didn't make beat up on my dad. My dad turned the raising of me over to my mom. Jeff Nell, come on in. Yeah, hey, Coach, great subject. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm on our 45th year of marriage and, and stuff this way, but I also was a foster parent for five years and the conditioning of it and the commonest goals step 40 discredit the family as an institution encourage promiscuity and easy divorce it's all intentional boss it's all intentional it's the devil it's the devil's playbook we're not to be ignorant of his devices we legalize sin that's what we do what we do julie yeah great show coach um I go back, I don't know exactly what scripture it is, but going back to the three chord strand, you know, we have God and we have the marriage. I believe God designed it as a blood covenant because sex before marriage, you know what happens with a woman, you know, when they consummate the marriage. So like, it's a, it's a beautiful thing, but like how we have lost all that. Yes. So. Yep. That's right. We don't teach it to our, we don't teach it to our daughters. We don't, men don't know. We don't, we don't know. We don't, men don't know how to raise girls, for heaven's sakes. Vinny, then Tom Stout. Boom. Oh, I had my hand up. Well, I wanted to tell you about, I'm sorry, I wanted to tell you about my relationship, about fathers. I haven't seen my daughter in quite some time. Yes, women, there's some women who actually use their kids as ransom. Imagine that, guys. Ain't that mm-hmm. something? Sorry, thank you. Sure. Amen. Tom Stout or Emma, whichever. Well, Coach, um, when when I, I think it was when I turned about 70, I couldn't sleep as well as I used to. So I started sleeping in the extra room just because that way Tom didn't wake me up. So that's all it is. I, I just need to sleep. And so sometimes that's the case for all, all of us oldsters. <laughs> Amen. I've been watching my wife. She's been doing some babysitting around here the last couple of days. I, that's a not that, that's a nonstop job <laughs> chasing little kids, right? Not for some sixty-seven-year-old woman to be doing it. And I think God bless all you grandmas and grandpas out there that are raising your grandchildren. It's more. It's far, man. Far more invaluable. I got another got another video I can show you that will break your heart too. Go ahead, Craig. But you made a statement there, Coach. Said your your daughters kind of uh, looked for a husband uh, off the image of you being their father. So right. the question poses: Young child raised by two moms, legally married in the United States. Who are they going to go look for? Uh, that's right. I'm, I'm so we have a perpetual we have a perpetual uh, system in place that gets us further from the truth. Amen. Coach, I got I got my hand up, Coach. <laughs> okay, go ahead. I'm on my cell phone. I'm, I'm working, Coach. But, um, yeah, very good subject. We really need to see this. This is bigger, so big, Coach, so important. But here's, <clears throat> here's what we have to understand, Coach, is that we're all broken uh, to some degree. 
okay? Everyone is. Everyone's raised with brokenness and at some at some point. What we have to understand is when we surrender to the, to the Holy Spirit, to the teaching of Christ, and to the to the Father, the Father of daughters and and sons, the the our heavenly Father. When we submit to that coach and we we get all in, He can reconcile. Everything. Amen. He's got a restoration. Can, yes. But yes. coach, the churches don't teach you anything. They don't teach anything of value, and that we don't get what we need to to see that take place. So, what we have to do as older people now—I'm one of, of us. I'm a senior. We we have to become what we wasn't, and we have to impart to these young people and to the ones what we didn't do then. And we can do it now. I'm not, and you can do it at 30. There's some wise people out there, but we have to see that in Christ, we can do all things. We can fix everything. And, and, and we have, but we have to have the principles of God in us to do it. We can't do it with the psychology and world system. Amen. Amen. I got another, hey, I'll just hit you another one, Spencer. Pull it up there real quick. I know you guys want to get in here. Hang on. This is, I'll just tell you, it's worth it though, right? Because most of them, most of the people I'm talking to right now are grandpas and grandmas. We blew it. We blew it, right? No, you didn't, Grandma and Grandpa. Play this real quick from Randy Travis. He wore starched white shirts, button at the neck, and he'd sit in shade and watch the chickens. Yeah, we can't hear it, man. <clears throat> and his teeth were gone. Start it again. He wore starched white shirts, button at the neck, and he'd sit in shade and watch the chickens peck. And his teeth were gone, but what the heck? I thought that he walked on water. Said he was a cowboy when he was young. He could handle a rope and he was good with a gun. And my mama's daddy was his oldest son. And I thought that he walked on water. And if the story was told. Grandparenthood is your chance to do it again, folks. It's a chance to do it again. And if your grandchildren can think of grand, grand, grandpa in particular, if they can get a good, solid, healthy opinion of grandpa, it'll help them in, with their relationship with the Lord. I really believe that. really do. Betty and then Dave Allison. Yes, super great show. And I am a product of divorce, too. and. 
I did not want to get a divorce, but I had a best friend involved with him for like five years. So I fought it eventually got that divorce. So not only did they break the strand of our family, they broke the strand of another family. So it was six. So it, you know, it's a, it is a terrible thing. So I had to talk to my son, tell him that you didn't, he's learned over time that you don't do adultery. I taught him to treat his wife like porcelain and always be a father. So I have to say, I'm kind of proud that he is a great husband and father because he's always by their size. He's, he changed diapers. He'd be up at the night through the night when she was, and 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 you know, and I wish I'd had a dad like him, you know. Yep. But you know, he learned from them, and he always used to say, "I only had one parent," you know. Yep. So that's pretty sad. That father he's wound, father wound for sure. Amen. Dave Allison, and we got to go. Go, Dave. Yeah, um, real quick. Uh, Forty-five years in the marriage. I can tell you right now. There was times when both of us should have uh, faced a firing squad, uh, <laughs> but uh, you know that's why that three that three quartered uh, strand. There was times when we were both broken, and if it wasn't been for God in the middle of it, we would have never made it. Amen on that. So I can testify to that. Amen. <laughs> Amen. I thought he walked on water. Don't ever forget this. What your grandchildren think of you will impact what they think of their Heavenly Father. Don't ever miss that, man. It's not about you. When you make that vow, that's a vow. See you tomorrow.